I hope that you've heard the word practice a lot. Um, because as Alan Iverson said, it's practice. You know, I, I said the first week, uh, Iverson's issue, right, was that he was called out because he wasn't at practice, and his argument was, well, it's not a game. It's just practice. And so many people argued that practice is like 99% of what you have to do in order to be successful in the thing that you're trying to do. And so I hope that you have been thinking about practice in a way that challenges you. I also hope that you've been encouraged um, to see some of these things a little differently. And I just want to take just a moment and say thank you as a church. Um, Almost every week I get a phone call or a text um, or I go to lunch with somebody. Uh, You guys have been encouraging to me as I have done this. And so thank you for that. But I hope you've also been encouraged um, because the, the heart of this study is that if you follow Jesus, our life should look like we follow Jesus. Um, I said this in the first week that if you follow God, your life should and will have to be different than before you followed him. And, and I do believe that is the goal of this series, is to challenge us to live in a way that will show the world that we follow Jesus. And in fact, I want to hit you with this quote one more time. I know you've probably seen it like, well, at least three times. Um, But it's this, the classical practices of spiritual life call us to move beyond surface living and into the depths. The goal is to come deeper into your understanding of who God is. And so when we talk about these practices, these You know, the first week we talked about inward practices. So what are practices that you as an individual will do to to draw deeper into an understanding of who God is? You know, those are important things. Uh, Last week we talked about outward practices, things that you as an individual will do to help engage people who don't know who Jesus is. Um, And then today I'm going to talk about what I'm calling congregational practices um, because as You've heard today, hopefully a couple of times, that if we just see this as a group of people hanging out on Sunday morning singing, we have missed the point. If you don't start to look at this place and these people around you as your family, I don't believe we're practicing what God is calling us to do. And that's what I want you to understand about today is that we are a family of believers that just happens to meet at Johnson Street Church of Christ. So today I'm going to talk about three congregational practices that will challenge us as a body of believers to live into a deeper understanding of who God is. And hopefully it will call us out of a surface level living and into the depths. Let me pray for us and then we'll jump on in. God, thank you for today. Thank you for the chance that we get to be together as a family and as a body of believers, and I just pray that you would guide this conversation today. Father, let my words be yours and not mine. Father, I pray that we find ways to live into your vision and mission for not just our church, but but your people. So, Father, today I just pray for this conversation, that your spirit be present, that you would open up our hearts to you. Thanks again for your son and the hope that we have in you because of his sacrifice. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Okay, so today I want to start with a practice that 
Every time I introduce this practice, people are like, that's not a practice. It is absolutely a practice, and it's the practice of community. We have to be a community. Community has to be a part of something uh, a church does. And I believe that community is absolutely a practice for our church. And so um, I think about community, and I think about what does a community look like. And when I first got here, I introduced a thing called Growing Young, which was a collection of information from a nationwide study of churches that basically said that uh, young people are leaving the church at a faster rate than any other demographic in the country. And that is still true today. But I think we can all say that churches, in our experience, in general in this country are shrinking, right? Could we agree with that? That in general, churches are probably shrinking. And so community is not just about showing up on Sunday morning, but that is a big part of what we're going to talk about today. Um, but you can look at our church, you can look at any church and, and point at places to say there are holes in our community of, of believers. Maybe it's generational, uh, maybe it's individuals, maybe it's uh, groups of people, right? Whatever it is, you can look at a church probably and say there are holes in our community. And so what I hope today that you will hear is that your commitment to a community is important. In fact, I would, I would say this is the question we need to answer. Why does this matter? What, what is the point of being a part of a church family? What's the point of being a part of a faith community? What, what, what is the point of all this? And so I want to answer that question for you in, in three ways. One, God did not intend for us to do this alone. From the beginning of creation, God embodies community. Amanda will laugh because I, I love this saying, the divine family. You know, the Trinity, <coughs> Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that's, that's what we usually say. I, I have been taught that that is called the divine family. Why? Because God represents community through the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So if, if I had to tell you one thing, God himself values community. But it's, you don't have to read scripture very long to understand that God has intended humankind for community, right? He created Adam, and he said, wait a minute, this is not good for you to be alone. So he created connection. That's one way I want you to answer the question, why does this matter? You are not supposed to do it alone. It's not, it's not God in, God's intention is to do this alone. So that's way to answer number one. Way to answer number two, one that I think is really important, is I don't believe you can come to know Christ without coming to know his people. You, you cannot come to know who Jesus is. You cannot come to know who God is. I don't believe you can come to understand God fully without knowing his people. So I want you to turn to Galatians chapter 3. You don't have the word, if you don't have your Bible's words are on the screen, but it says this, for you are all children of God through a faith in Christ. And all who have been uni uh, united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ 
like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Paul's talking about unity here. Um, And I want to talk about unity for a second. Part of being in a church family, and I've said this probably, I don't know how many times, a lot of times, we are going to disagree. You're going to see something one way, and I'm going to see it another. But the good thing is, is we're not, uni- we're not unified in, in how we agree. We are unified simply through Jesus. A church body, a church family, a community of believers, that is where our unity lies. So let me challenge you for a minute to say that our church community is full of diverse people and opinions and ideas and thoughts, and that's what makes a community rich. That's what makes a community deep. But what's better is when we can say we are unified under Christ and Christ alone. But I believe that this will show us that we cannot come to know fully who God is without knowing his people. And you are God's people. So you've got to be, you've got to, you've got to interact with people who don't know who Jesus is. Because I believe that that you're important. In fact, that's why I'm going to lead into the third way I want to answer this question. Way number three is the church is God's plan A to reach the world. The church is God's plan A. And I don't think there's another plan. I, I, I I think this quote says it all. God's one plan for reaching the world is rooted in the community of broken people who gather with a desire to bring in God's own dream kingdom of love and shalom. Shalom being this really beautiful word, not just peace. We translate it peace, but this encompasses the idea of wholeness and completeness. And, and, and God's plan for bringing wholeness and completeness into this world is on our shoulders to do it. And, and I, I, think, I think we are God's plan A. In fact, I don't think I know we are God's plan A. Each and every one of us is broken and flawed, and yet God chose each and every one of us into his goal. I believe God's goal is to reconcile all things back into relationship with him. That is what I believe God's intention is, and we're, we're supposed to do that. So, so that's how I think we should answer that question of why does church matter? All right, you're not supposed to do it alone. You're not supposed to do it alone. You can't come to know Christ without coming to know his people. And the church is God's plan A to reach the world. So how do you practice community then? How, how do you do it? And here's where I'll, I'll push. is You have to be a part of a community. You've you got to come to the community. You've got to be a part of it. And, and this is something I was talking to a man about this week. Yeah, Sunday morning at at 10 o'clock, this can't just be it. This can't be what our community is here for, right? I would hope not. I I pray that this is not what community looks like. And and I know that there are options for community outside of this time. We've got Bible class. That's a built-in opportunity for connection and community with you. We've got Wednesday nights. 
Jeff and Lois Power are teaching a great study, and that's an opportunity for you to come and be a part of a community. There are small groups. If Make a small group. Create a small group. I believe that to practice community means you have to step out of what you, you are comfortable with and into a broken body of believers centered and unified around God. So how do you practice community? You got to do it. And, and I was asked um, by, by a minister friend back in Lubbock, he was actually a part of writing Growing Young, he said, well, how do you think we're going to fix the issue of church attendance, specifically with young people, but across the board, how do you think we fix that? And I said, it's going to lie in, in, in the invitation that we have, to, we have to invite people into this. I tell our college students this at, at RFC. I want you to invite people to RFC, not because I want people in a building. I want you to invite people to RFC because you have found something that you, you don't want to just keep to yourself. And I believe that's key in talking about community. So, so community has to be a practice that our congregation does. But, but then what? What does that mean? Okay, so we get people. We're, we're together. We're in this room. We're going to Bible study. We're going to small group. We're going to Wednesday night. What does that look like? So, so is that it? And no, that's not it. I, I want to talk about the second practice, which you can't have without community, and that's discipleship. Now, discipleship is one of those churchy words that we throw around a lot, and I think we say it, but I'm not sure we really know what it means to disciple somebody. So for a minute, I want to talk about what it means to be a disciple and what it means to be a disciple maker. Um, one thing I want to start with, obviously, is when we think about discipleship, the call for discipleship, it's, there's an easy place to go to, right? Matthew 28. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 28, 16 through 20. We know this. Some of you can recite it. Some of you have read it a million times. But the question is, is what does this actually mean for you? Uh, you as an individual, and us as a church community. It says this, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go, if I could like highlight that word, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them these new disciples, teach them to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is, I mean, when we think about what is the church's job, most people will point to this passage. And my question is, is what does this actually call us to do? What does it call us to do? There's a couple things I think it's specifically calling us to do. One, go. Discipleship does not just happen in this building. There has got to be an action. Any organization that doesn't have a plan of action is just kind of waiting around. And God has given us a clear action plan to say, go and do this. And what is he asking us to do? He's asking us to make disciples. So let's talk about what a disciple is. Um, one, I'm going to throw back to last week. I believe a disciple is somebody who has fully submitted to God. In fact, I think Jesus has has shown us this in, in interactions. You know, he's got his disciples, and then he's got followers, right? He had, he had thousands of people following him at one point, but he only had 12 disciples. 
What, what, about those, what did those 12 disciples have to do to get to that point? One, they had, to, they had to submit to God. They had to take up their cross, right? They had to give up their selfish ways, like I talked about last week, and follow Jesus. And that's a scary thought, right? What does it look like for you to, to deny yourself, to take up your cross, and follow Jesus as a disciple. That's one way I think you define a disciple. Two, a disciple is somebody who would do everything they can to emulate Jesus. Uh, think about, instead of the word disciple, think about apprentice. What does an apprentice do? An apprentice would leave and they would go and they would spend all their time with this person, learning their job, learning how to do it, and then they would, they would go do it. And the question is, is for us, if we're going to be disciples of Jesus, are we recreating what Jesus would do in our world today? Are our actions, are the way we treat people, would Jesus say, that's what I would do? And I'm going to challenge you for a minute to, to really think about that. Third way I think you can find a disciple is a disciple is somebody who is seeking people to bring to God. A disciple is seeking somebody to bring to God. And so as a church, let me just, as a church body, what does it look like for our congregation to be disciples? And it goes back to last week. It looks like our church submitting our selfish ways, denying ourselves, and as a body taking our cross up and following Jesus. It says that as a body, we have to be mission-minded and mission-focused. There is a goal as a body of believers, and it's not just to come here on Sunday mornings. This is a great opportunity for us to be together. The, the value of this community is huge. But as I said a minute ago, this can't be it for us. Another quote, I'm sorry, you all get quoted out a lot. Um, one that I really love is, is this. It says, the mission is more than saving souls. It involves helping people make the transformational journey into Christ-likeness. Disciple-makers give light and hope and help to those who are willing to be intentional about their growth. And that's, I, I want to I sit in that for a minute. The mission is not just about saving souls. You know, I grew up and, you know, people were like, well, it's just to try to get people out of hell. And, and, and we're saving people out of hell. Well, we can't do that. That's Jesus' job. Right? It's not just about saving souls. It is about transforming lives and hearts into being more like Jesus. And as disciples, that is the job, is to transform people into Christ-likeness. But disciple-makers, they give light and hope and help to those willing to be intentional about their growth. The question is, just as much as disciples have to be willing to help those intentional about their growth, are you, as a disciple, intentional?